caught me a little off guard there, not knowing if I was supposed to come up right there. So it looks as if uh, it is time to take your Bibles and turn to Psalm chapter 23. Psalm chapter 23, if you've been here over the last month, you know that I've been sharing some of the great truths from this particular passage. And as we have been looking at this passage, uh, we have discovered that there's much more there to say than I uh, quite possibly have time to say it in each occasion. Also, I'm going to read a few verses uh, as well in Ecclesiastes. So if you have your Bible, uh, in just a moment we'll look at Ecclesiastes chapter 1 uh, as well, and we'll discover from that some of the things uh, that Solomon says he had. And uh, because of that, we discover the subject matter this morning is want in the Scriptures. And as we look at that subject matter, I, I trust that you realize that I'm not preaching at you or down on you. I'm preaching to us today. And uh, because of that, uh, I trust we learn, if we haven't already, uh, to keep our want in control. Yes, uh, the Scripture said in Psalm 23:1, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, with that in mind, I know you're already uneasy about what are we going to talk about when we come to this place of not wanting. You're probably thinking already, he's going to preach on not buying a car again, or he's not going to... Uh, or he's going to preach about uh, all those other decisions that we have to sort ourselves through. And I'm going to preach on none of that, okay? However, as we look at it, I want us to see some of the promises that God has made to us, but also, likewise, see some of our actions uh, that challenge us as well. Psalm 34.9 says, O oh, fear the Lord, ye His saints, for there is no want to, to them that fear Him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Psalm 84, 11, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will He withhold from them that walk uh, uprightly. Verse 12 says, O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusteth in thee. Also, Proverbs 13, 25, the righteous eateth to the satisfying of the soul, but the belly of the wicked shall want. Psalm 100, a psalm that we greatly love, said, Know ye that the Lord, He is God. It is He that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter into His gate with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. Be thankful unto Him and bless His name. For the Lord is good, His mercy is everlasting, and His truth endureth to all generations. I ran across a couple of paragraphs I want to share with you at this moment. And the uh, copied note here said, In a way, so many people who grow up in economically challenged families have told me, We were poor, but we didn't know we were poor. 
They lived happily. Their days were filled with well-being. They weren't oppressed by a sense of want. They lived fully. In a nutshell, they lived out of a mentality of abundance. That abundance mentality can be compared to a very different mentality, one of scarcity. These two mentalities drive our lives and sense of well-being in two different ways. When we live from a framework of abundance, we have security. That security endows us with freedom. We're free to give ourselves. We're free to create. Freely, we share our love, our compassion, our ideas, uh, and wisdom. We reach out to others in support and solidarity. Some of you I know quite well. And the reason I know you quite well is because you have shared many things with me over the years of our knowing one another. I know somewhat about you. You have uh, told me so. Uh, And some of that is that you were raised in what many people might call a disadvantaged uh, economically mindset in your home. However, Uh, There might be some of you who were raised in a home of plenty. And because of that, your uh, culture has been uh, able to form your opinions and and your uh, thoughts about where we are. Let us look in the Bible. I said Ecclesiastes 1, but it is Ecclesiastes 2 that I want to look at what might be one of the richest men that the Bible gives us record of. It happened to be uh, here that uh, Solomon would say in chapter 2, verse 3, he said, I sought in mine heart to give it unto wine. Notice, he said in verse 4, I made me great works, builded me houses, planted vineyards. In verse 5, he said, I made me gardens and orchards, uh, planted trees, and had all kinds of fruits. We see in verse 7 that he said, I got me maidens and servants, and servants born in my house. I had great possessions, he tells us. In verse 8, he said, I gathered me also silver and gold. He said in verse 9, I also was great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. And whatever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them, he said in verse 10. But oh, what verse 11 says. It said, Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought, and the labor that I had labored to do, and behold, all that was vanity and vexation of spirit, and there was no profit under the sun. Now let me remind you that this is the sun of the one whom we're reading in Psalm 23, David, who would give us uh, some of the greatest songs or psalms uh, in the Scriptures. Now, as we think about this text, remind ourselves again, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Some have paraphrased that in a little different way. Some would say it this way, because... uh, The Lord is my shepherd, I have no need of want. And the realities of that might be better true of that current paraphrase there about our relationship. Yes, verse 1, the first phrase is about relationship. 
the secondary part there is not just only relationship, but about what that relationship offers us in life. In John 10 and 10, Jesus said, I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Notice, he said that he come that we might enjoy life uh, in its abundance. Think with me quickly at the place of want. There's a couple of three scriptures I remind you of. You can write them down. Genesis 12 is one of those. And it said, Abram traveled to Egypt amidst a famine and then lied about his wife. Yes, in our Sunday school book this morning, you take note there, the book that we're using in the sanctuary class, that that was the subject matter of our morning lesson. By the way, if you're not in a small group Sunday school class, uh, make yourselves available, whether it's this class that I lead or an age group divided class that you would meet in, and we'll help you there. However, we see that Abram now was a rich man. I bring to you just the thought of something that we learned this morning, that literally Abram came to a place of want. You say, not him. Yes, he did. There was a famine. And it said it was a great famine. And they went down to Egypt. And there is where Abraham and Potiphar have a little arrangement there because Abram had told his wife, Tell them you're my sister. And the scripture tells us uh, the end result of that. Abraham, like many of us, uh, had came to a place of want. Now, most of my wants have not been necessitated because we had nothing to eat. I might have wanted something different to eat. There was not a true famine that I personally have been through. But Abram, as we notice there, traveled to Egypt. Luke 15 gives us a person who had great want. You remember the prodigal, do you not? It said he went to his dad one day and he said, Dad, give me what's going to be mine or what is mine. And because there of relationship, his father gave him what was going to be his. And the scripture tells us he wasted it all on riotous living. And you know what won't did to him, do you not? He wanted what was his, and now uh, the scripture tells us he really comes to a place of great need, and he goes back to his father. So with all of that, just think with me quite uh, uh, possibly that we see that there were what I call a place of want. That last reference there is out of the book of Ruth, if you remember. Their family moved because of want, and the scripture tells us while they're there, dad and the two boys die. Well, mom comes back to her place of origin, and the scripture reminds us, though, that people come to a place of want, but we have various different ways to express that. Want lessens one's faith. As I was studying this week, I put in my notes there. The place of want is that our faith becomes lessened. Now, when I'm talking about faith, we don't lose our faith. Uh, we still acknowledge that there's a God. We acknowledge that we love Jesus. But what might happen there when our wants are, are the driving force in our life, 
the belief in God's promises is greatly diminished. Now notice the word lessons and just take the first four letters and the belief in our God's promises are less. And also the embrace of God's promises are less. Quite possibly right now. You are thinking about a verse uh, as I preach, and you're thinking about a verse that might uh, be your life verse. It might be something that challenges you, but it could be something that comforts you as well. Won't also leads to covetousness. Yes, covetousness births materialism. Some might would say materialism births uh, covetousness. Either way you want to say it, I think they're cousins, matter of fact, because it's almost like they go together. Covetousness simply means, as the Lord said in uh, what? In the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not covet. In other words, don't live your life constantly wanting something else, wanting more or wanting what your neighbor might have. Secondly, materialism brings greed. You say, preacher, you got any examples in mind? Uh, no, I do not, honestly. I could have said something humorously there that I know a few close calls, but I really do not have anybody in mind. I think as we read the Bible, though, what we will learn is that want, uh, other words, more, 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 different, 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 would lead us to that place of of uh, covetousness there and materialism. First Timothy chapter six verse eight says, "In having food and raiment, let us be therewith content." Imagine now those two needs that we generally have in life, and that is food and clothing. And the Lord said, "If you have enough of both of those." Uh, uh, we need to take that and become content uh, with what the Lord has trusted to us. Now, again, before my mom and dad died, they were telling me about uh, how they learned that they grew up poor. And it was not until really somebody told them they were. Now, my mom, uh, her mother died when she was three. She had two younger sisters. Mom grew up with a stepmother, and mom went to school and would tell uh, her nephew about later how going to school, somebody had made fun of her. Mama never got over that. She never told me that story, but my nephew did. Now, friend, the reality of this is, if you got more than somebody else, don't look down your nose at them. Don't, make, don't belittle them. Why? Because the Lord is the one who gives us our needs, is He not? Well, the, not only do we think about the place of want, let's think about the price of want. Someone is already saying, Hey, preacher, that verse said, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Well, I'm getting to that. But let's really establish the fact that we need, if we've not already done that, we need to bring our wants under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Now, the price of want, first of all, I think of physical stress, can lead to sickness, can lead, to, can lead also to hospitalization. I shared earlier in the early service this morning, I shared a hospital visit that I made about 15 years ago. 
And as I made that hospital visit, it was a young man. Uh, it was during spring break of that particular year. So it must have been somewhere about 2006. Uh, I remember going in that hospital room that day. There was no division of attention. He and I were alone in that room. And then he opened up to me and he talked about how life had been tough and, and how that in that week of spring break that he did not have money enough to send his wife and his daughter to the beach for beach week during spring break. And largely that man was hospitalized because he had worried so much about what he could not provide for his family. Now, friend, I've not read in the rule book that we all have the same opportunities. I've not read in the rule book where we need to supply what everyone else gets. But I don't want to diminish the stress uh, that that brings because quite possibly we have all been under stress somewhat of uh, that old fellow called want. Uh, secondly, not only will it cause physical stress, it likewise will cause emotional stress. Emotional stress, I wanted to very much clarify that I'm not preaching down on mental illness, okay? Mental illness is real. If you're not aware of that, it is everywhere. It is not uh, usually because of something someone has done or not done. Many times it is just the way they are when it comes to how God wired them or sometimes uh, simply as uh, something that might happen in life. I'm talking about the emotional stress uh, in what uh, the rest of us might think ourselves as normal. Now, friend, I've never really found a good I never really found a good definition for that. I want you to know, though, emotional stress is real. Not everybody with emotional stress uh, needs to go to a counselor. Not everybody with emotional stress uh, might, might sit down in the pastor's office, etc. Matter of fact, it might be the pastors that are under more emotional stress. Why? Because of sometimes a subject matter of want. The price of want can also lead to marital stress. Yes, broken fellowship. Yes, between husband and wife. Yes, between children and uh, parents. Yes, marital stress sometimes is caused uh, largely by the price there of want. Uh, I illustrate with a closet. Any of you who your father or mother might have built a house in the 50s or before, you might have bought a house that was built in the 50s or before. If it had a closet in a bedroom, that closet was not much larger than the pulpit in which I'm standing at. I would venture to say most of them were about two foot wide or, or two foot deep and about three to four foot wide at the largest. Now you say, well, what did people do? What did people wear back then? Well, they just didn't have something to wear uh, for every day of the week. I mean, for every day of the year, so to speak. I'm reminded of what the old fella said about what the older men wore to church. They said they wore overhauls and a white shirt to church. And next week they wore the same overhauls with another white shirt. So the reality is you didn't need but two hangers, undoubtedly, uh, so 
I'm just wanting to remind you about the price of want. I tell you, in many ways, we think we've arrived and we've overed that thing, but that's not true. Want is one of those fellows who sticks his old head up quite often in our lives. James McDonald, I read this behind him concerning that phrase. He said it is a statement about self-control. Think about all the pain in life that is caused by wanting. I want this, and I want to go there, and I want to experience that. Too many of life's hurts comes from wanting what we do not have. There are some of you in this room, I can probably date your age by asking you if you remember the Sears and Roebuck, Chris, uh, the Sears and Roebuck Christmas catalog. How many of you remember it? Oh, couldn't wait for it to come, could we? My, they could make some of those pretty red trucks and all those things. Uh, or maybe you liked or preferred the, the J.C. Penney Christmas catalog. Didn't matter. Uh, all those colorful things. And you begin to make that Christmas, Christmas wish list. And all the tabs on the pages in that uh, book would just be all turned over. But you know, the amazing thing about that, it, it give you a, a, a something to think about. And then low come Christmas morning, those gifts that you got might not have been anything compared to that. But you know you were happy. Why? Because you had more. And sometimes that's just the key. We've got more. My father-in-law, Debbie's dad, uh, used to lay carpet. And uh, he, he sort of taught me how. And anyway, I, I went with him on many occasions. And it was amazing amazing what people had that we had to move and put back just because of this subject matter called want. So again, the price of want. I'm not knocking it, believe me. You know, I, I was guilty Thursday. Debbie and I were on our way back home. We stopped in a little town. We needed to make a pit stop, and it just so happened. It, just, it was just arranged, I think, by God that it was a Dairy Queen. So anyway, we did, and I said, you want an ice cream? So anyway, we got us an ice cream, but you know what I noticed? I noticed the difference in a small blizzard and a medium blizzard was only like 30 cents. Who in his right mind wouldn't spend 30 extra cents for more blizzard? Was that a want or a need? Believe me, it was a want, and on down the road further, had created another need. The progression of want. Second Peter 2.18, For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escaped from them who lived in error. I don't want to take that out of context, but I do want to remind you that Peter's talking about spiritual leaders or religious leaders. And he's talking about how they manipulate others through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness. Folks, do you notice that that verse is about greed and not grace? Do you notice that that verse is about selfishness and not selflessness? Yes, we're living, we're still living in a time and in a place of plenty. Let's remind ourselves 
we as Americans in large ways, we can become very spoiled, can't we? Whether it's by our food or by what we wear, where we live, what we drive. And I'm not knocking that. Hey, I live here. But I'm trying to say to us, how do we get from here to where God desires for us to be in Psalm 23, 1, where it said, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Notice the way that phrase, or notice the way that that little word not changes the entire appearance of what the Lord is giving us there. Now let's speak on the time that's left to the absence of want. The absence of want. In Judges chapter 18, verses 7 through 10, you can go home and read it all within its context. But in verse 10 it said, When you go, you shall come to a people secure into a large land, for God hath given it into your hands, a place where there is no want for anything that is in the earth. Wow. No want for anything. Isn't it like that? That what God does is He gives and He gives and He gives. Now, that particular passage leads me to think of a New Testament passage. Philippians 4.11 when Paul would say, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. It is hard for me to express that verse in the same fashion that Paul is writing that because I would have to change that to say, I am learning in whatsoever state I'm in therewith to be content. Yes, you say, Pastor, you mean you've not mastered that yet? I am so much better than I used to be, if anybody knows me. But friend, let me just tell you, want is something that can be driven by the enemy, and as he gives that desire to us, it literally can stick us in some holes we cannot get out of. Think about the principle, Hebrews 13 and 5. Let your conversation, and matter of fact, that word conversation means your total being. It doesn't mean just what moves out of our lips. Your conversation means your life. Let your life be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave you nor forsake thee. Yes, this morning in that Sunday school lesson that I mentioned to you about uh, in those Bible studies for life out of Genesis chapter 13, you remember Abram moved to Egypt because of a famine, because there was a need. I'm sure, uh, without any doubt, there was a great need there. But friend, let's be honest with ourselves and acknowledge that need versus greed is a different story. So, God wants us to come to this place in our life where we can understand the Lord is not going to leave us or forsake us, so therefore we can be content with where we are and what we have. Now, men, sometimes I think that might hit us harder because we are, there's something about 
uh, us feeling like we're the, uh, we're the one who has to supply everything. Guys, we need to see this from God's perspective and understand that He's the provider. Yes, we might be the agent, the earthly agent to distribute what He provides, but we need to understand there this principle and not grieve over that. Two or three things there that comes to my mind. I know it's so small you can't read it. I apologize for that. But anyway, living within one's means. That's, that's the first place it starts. Living within one's means. Other words, simply uh, stated, you know what you have and you know how much month there is and somehow you've got to at least keep what you have uh, and the amount of month and it's got to at least equal out there. Now, sometimes that is hard. Some of, you, some of you, especially single parents, especially senior adults, uh, I, I believe and I know that uh, it is a hard place for many people to be. Why? Because living with, within your means uh, sometimes really makes you have to squeeze the, make you have to squeeze the pot right tight there. But living within one's means. Uh, secondly, living without others' dreams. Oh, we, we, we know how roundtable discussions can be, do we not? Yes, it don't have to be a roundtable discussion down at City Hall either. It could be a roundtable discussion in the social hall and the realities of sharing uh, your dreams with others. Let me just say about that. You don't need to evaluate your success by what other people's standards might be. Yes, you might have less than other people, but the, the thought there is seeing that the supplier has supplied all of those needs. And thirdly, living within God's supplies. Philippians 4.19, you've recited it. I'm sure when I read it, you're going to acknowledge it, but my God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. How many of you can honestly say you know God is your supplier? Do you recognize that He has not forgot you? Do you know that you may not have any money in your pocket, but that does not change the reality that He is the supplier? I remember the year quite well. I remember it so well because it was Friday the 13th. Uh, Friday the 13th, about 3.30 in the afternoon. It is vividly entrenched in my mind. And in that year, uh, it is so trenched in my mind because it was a year, I think, of 1984. And that particular afternoon, I had an accident. And my accident led me to the front door of our house. I said, Debbie, come. we got to go to the hospital. I did not know what had happened to me. All I know is I was sawing a limb, and I sat down a running chainsaw, and I went to touch the limb. And next thing I know is I saw about 10 or 15 stars, and I was, uh, I, I was uh, blood was flowing out of my mouth. I said, something's bad. Well, it just turned out to be a broke jaw, lost 20 pounds over six weeks. But the story of that is the gentleman who had came to see me in the hospital, who handed my wife a $20 bill. Little did he know 
that that would be the gas money for her to drive back and to, to Brunswick. Now, friend, I don't know about you, but men are pretty, men are pretty, what are we, what are we going to call, what I want to call that? We're, we're pretty stubborn sometimes. We're pretty uh, prideful too, aren't we? And sometimes we don't take help well. Let me just say this to you. Something I've learned over the years is God is the deliverer. He, he delivers His promises through various ways, does He not? If I could leave here today just telling you one thing, let's don't let our wants drive us, but let's allow God to supply our needs. Now, you know, you and I, hey, we, we can be a part of God's distribution. And I'm not saying that because I have need today. I'm just saying that when we see that person, God might allow us to be in the distributing process. This verse, I had preached from this subject when I preached through Psalm 23 many years ago. But everything that God gave me on this verse or this half of a verse is real for this week. No notes that I had borrowed from 10 years ago. It was just a subject that God etched in me this week. Why? Because He said, Because the Lord is your shepherd, you can live without want. Why? Because God supplies my needs and your needs according to His riches and glory. Would you pray with me? Father, yes, we get emotional when we think about how you supply needs. We're sometimes carried away, Lord, when we're called upon there to share some of our life stories. But Lord, there's one thing I can absolutely say about you today. You are a God of all glory. You are faithful to your promises. And Lord, I thank you that today I can give you all the glory for the magnificent ways you've blessed the family. Lord, somebody might have a need this morning that we're unaware of, but Lord, show them to us. Because, Lord, we're, we want to be agents in your hands to help others. Bless the time of decision today. Call people unto yourself now in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother Mike leads us in a song.